Good morning. Two kids uh, told their mother, say, hey, Ma, tomorrow is Mother's Day. Uh, don't cook tomorrow. We're going to do it for you. So nine pots, two skillets, four large bowls, 11 spoons, five measuring cups, and one whole roll of paper towel later. Mom was heard to say, you know what? I truly believe that was the best jello I ever had. <laughs> I learned growing up there are some things, and probably you did too, or as a parent, you know this is true. There, there are some things that a mother doesn't want to hear. Things like, I swallowed a goldfish. Your lipstick works better than crayons. Hey, Mom, does grape juice leave a stain? Oh, by the way, the principal called. But Dad says that word all the time. What's it cost to fix a window? Has anyone seen my earthworms? I painted your shoes pretty, huh, Mom? Oh, by the way, the dog doesn't like dressing up in your clothes. <laughs> now, you ladies, being a parent changes everything. Yes, agree? Yeah. Everything. But being a parent also changes with each baby that comes along. Here's some of the ways having a second baby or a third baby is different from having the first child. The first one, let me just talk about two or three areas. Uh, first area would be your clothes. Baby number one, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your doctor confirms that you're pregnant. You probably take a, a change of clothes to wear on the way home from the doctor. Baby number two, you wear your regular clothes as long as possible. And baby number three, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. <laughs> Next thing that changes is your going out habits. Baby number one, first time you leave your baby with a sitter, you call home five times. Baby number two, just before you walk out the door, you remember to leave a number where you can be reached. And baby number three, you leave instructions for the sitter, call only if you see blood. <laughs> And another thing that changes, your habits at home, around the house. Baby number one, you spend a good bit of every day just gazing at that child. Just gawking down at that little baby. Baby number two, you spend a bit of every day watching. Be sure your older child isn't squeezing, poking, or hitting the baby. Some of you have been there, haven't you? And baby number three, you spend a little bit of every day hiding from the children. <laughs> a young boy was telling, was talking to his pastor one day, and he told his pastor that his mom said his prayers for him each night. And the pastor thought that was a little strange, but he thought he would ask. He says, what, what exactly do you mean your mother says your prayers for you every night? And the youngster replied, well, when mommy tucks me in, she always says, thank God he's in bed. 
None of you have ever prayed that, of course. Today we're here to worship the Lord. Everyone's here to worship the Lord. Yep. And also we're here to honor mothers. And uh, Ephesians 6 is very clear. If you want to read that chapter, I highly recommend it. And I want you to park on the first three or four verses, especially honoring your father, honoring your mother. This is a wise thing to do. We're commanded by Scripture, as a matter of fact, to honor our parents. And it's also, I found, a sensible thing to do. It's a safe thing to do, and it's a loving thing to do. Now, many of us here today wish we still had our mothers living so we could honor them and remember them and, and love them, love on them. And, uh, but we have uh, wonderful memories, hopefully, and, and that, that goes a long way. And uh, so... Oh, and I remember the six-year-old boy who was separated from his mother in a supermarket. And is there a scarier thing than being in a place like that, a big space with a lot of people, and you, you get separated, you, you and your child? Well, the little boy is separated in the supermarket, and he begins to call. He realizes his mom's not around, and he begins to call out frantically, just crying, Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> And that was his mom's name, and she came running to him quickly, and she said, but honey, you shouldn't call me Martha. Martha, I'm mother to you. Yeah, I know, he said, but this store is full of mothers. <laughs> Our world is full of mothers. How many had one? That's really good. Almost everybody. That's phenomenal. That's a high percentage. Way to go. But I want to say this, we have only one mother who is very special, should be, must always be, there's no one like our mother, my mother, and no one can take the place of our mothers. Why? Because mom matters. And if you don't think so, if you don't think so, just think of your life, just think of this whole, this whole thing you call the journey of life. And think of the part that your mother has played or still is playing. Somebody wrote this very wisely. You've turned into a mom when you automatically double knot everything you tie. <laughs> you find yourself humming the Barney song as you do the dishes. You hear a baby cry in the grocery store, and you start gently swaying back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> However, your children are either at school or long gone. You actually start to like the smell of strained carrots mixed with applesauce. <laughs> You've turned into a mom when you spend a half hour searching for your sunglasses, only to have your teenagers say, Mom, why don't you just wear the ones you pushed up on your head? Or you're out for a nice romantic meal with your husband, enjoying some real adult conversation for the first time in a long time, and suddenly you realize that you've reached over and started to cut up his steak. <laughs> now here are a few important things that my mom taught me, and I'm thankful for them. My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. And I know that because she used to say, if you're going to kill each other, go do it outside. I just finished cleaning the house. <laughs> My mother also taught me about religion because she used to say, you better pray that will come out of the carpet. 
Mom taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. <laughs> Faster, we'll get done sooner. Okay. My mother taught me logic. Here it is. I love it. I've used it. Some of you have never used it. You're afraid of it. I wish we could bring it back. Here's her logic. Because I said so, that's why. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mom. Should be any discussion after that. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you always wear clean underwear. Why? You're almost as smart as my mom. My mother taught me irony. You may have used this irony. You keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. The reason some of you are laughing is because you're still using those terms probably. My mom also taught me about stamina. You're just going to sit here until those vegetables are gone. Whew. Those were long nights. My mom also taught me about weather. She said, this room of yours looks like a tornado went through it. My mother taught me the circle of life. God bless her. She said, I brought you into this world, and I can surely take you out. <laughs> My mother taught me about envy. Here's what she said. There are millions of less fortunate children in the world who don't have wonderful parents like you do. <laughs> My mom taught me about anticipation. You just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> mom taught me everything about receiving. You are going to get it when you get home. <laughs> mom taught me about medical science. Isn't that great? If you don't stop crossing your eyes, the wind will change and you'll stay like that. <laughs> My mother taught me how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. So I ate my vegetables, obviously. My mother also taught me genetics. Sometimes you act just like your father. My mother taught me about my roots. Shut that door behind you. Do you think you were born in a barn? My mother taught me wisdom. When you get to be my age, you'll understand. And my mother taught me about justice. She said, one day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. You know, on Mother's Day, we can't say enough good things about our mothers, hopefully, but we'll try, and God help us if we don't. And if you haven't even tried today, you need to. Mom is a, is a universal title. It's spoken in every language, in every country of the world, where I was born, it's mom, M-U-M. Here it's mom, M-O-M, for most people. And uh, a little video, just a little video to illustrate this.
so it's spoken in every language and in every nation. I want to share briefly three serious thoughts. We've had a little bit of fun here. We'll have a little bit more. Everybody just stay loose. Um, and I want to mention some things that I see that just jump off the page. I'm not going to do a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of uh, the 31st chapter of Proverbs, but if you have your Bible or you're in the app or you're ch uh, checking references, the references you want to have clearly marked today are first off Ephesians chapter 6. I recommend you read the whole chapter. And if you're really getting into that, go back and read the fifth chapter as well. And then particularly, and I'm going to reference this, Proverbs chapter 31. I want you to see three serious things about the woman that, um, that God describes here. First off, her hands work. I, I remember the story. I got a lot of stories this morning, but I think uh, you can identify with some of this. Uh, I, I, a boy got his first job, and he's boasting about the amount of work he did, and he, he was telling about it. And he said, well, I get up at 5 a.m. and I have my breakfast. Wow. And he was asked uh, by someone, does anyone else get up too? And he said, oh yes, my mother gets up and fixes my breakfast for me. And then she fixes uh, breakfast for dad. Oh, well, what about, what about your dinner? The boy said, oh, mother fixes that too. Well, then between the two, does your mother have the day off or the afternoon to herself? Or Oh, no, the, the boy said, Mama cleans the house and she looks after other children and she gets supper for me and dad when we come home. And then we watch TV before we go to bed. Well, what about your mother? What does she do? Well, Mama washes some clothes and she irons for pretty much the evening. Well, do, well, let me ask, do, do, you, do you get paid for your work? Of course, yeah, Dad and I both get paid. And what about your mother? Does she get paid? And the boy said, Mother get paid? Mother don't get paid. She don't do no work. <laughs> now, if anyone here today believes that moms don't work, I would suggest you'd better keep your mouth shut on that subject, like zip it and keep it zipped. Because in Proverbs 31, we see that the godly mother does all kinds of things, all kinds of work. If you want to do a thumbnail sketch, let's do it starting at verse 13, going to 19, going to 22. She selects wool and she works with eager hands. In verse 14, she shops, that means bringing her food from afar. Verse 15, she cooks, providing food for her family. In verse 16, she plants a vineyard. Our text says that mothers, verse 15, get up while it's still dark to prepare the food. And verse 18 says her lamp does not go out at night. What's that old saying? Man works from sun to sun, but woman's work is... Thank you. Verse 27, and that's very biblical, by the way, that little, that little saying. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. In other words, she isn't lazy. She isn't slothful because her hands work. Second thing I want you to notice in that very same chapter, Proverbs 31, is her mouth speaks. Verse 26 says, she speaks, it's qualified here, so don't, uh, don't rush to judgment. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. When the renowned preacher John Wesley was a student at Oxford, he, he was shocked by the amount of drinking and carousing that was done by the students there. 
I wonder what he'd think about college students today. Well, and after writing to his mother, Susanna Wesley, the mother of Methodism, asking her counsel, he received the following words in a letter. My dear son, remember that anything which increases the authority of the body over the mind is an evil thing. Great instruction. Great instruction. And I'm quite sure Susanna Wesley said a lot of other good words of wisdom to her 19 children. A London editor submitted to Winston Churchill for his approval a list of all those who had been Churchill's teachers. And Churchill returned the list with this comment, and I quote, You have omitted to mention the greatest of my teachers, my mother. Reading a, another biography of, of Churchill right now, and we, uh, you read that and you see the influence of his mother and his early training and the book, it's unbelievable. Matter of fact, the book is entitled God and Churchill, or Churchill and God. It's unbelievable. And he had to learn those precepts and those principles and those values somewhere. And he learned them from good teachers at an early age from the Word of God. Another famed preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, had four sons. And all four of the boys became ministers of the gospel. At a family reunion, a friend asked one of the sons, well now, which Morgan is the greatest preacher? And while that son looked at his father, he replied, mother. <laughs> now that's not meant to be funny, although I don't mind you chuckling. Mother was his, the greatest preacher in his mind. But let me just say this. Many mothers have done a lot of preaching to their children, whether they considered it preaching or they didn't. I wonder if you can say with me this morning, thank you, Mom, for caring enough to tell me what was what. Thank you, Mom, for caring enough to tell me what was what. Her mouth speaks. It speaks wisdom and godly instruction. And the third thing that I see here is her heart loves if you go down to verse 11 and 12 of Proverbs 31, it says her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Hmm. If a husband has full or complete confidence in his wife, you know that she is a woman who loves her man. A grandmother was telling her granddaughter goodnight when the little girl said, Mommy and Daddy are entertaining some very important people downstairs. You're right, Grandma agreed, but how did you know? Just listen, the little granddaughter said. Mommy is laughing at all Daddy's jokes. <laughs> Precious friends, where there's a lot of healthy laughter in a home, or in a church, because I know this is really home for some of you, and I understand that. You just know that something good is happening in that home. And of course, there needs to be more laughter in the home. 
These are not what we would just call the happiest of days for a lot of people. And they get caught up in that and then they don't know how to be happy and they don't know how to laugh and they can't see things in a, in a, in a humorous way at any time. And they just get to be, I don't know, their own worst enemy. Don't get caught up in that. Think about how people are going to remember you. Three guys were hanging out one day and their conversation went all around a whole lot of things as normally do, does when three guys get together. But after a bit, it grimly turned to the issue of death. So one of the guys asked the others, well, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? And that was a question that Franklin Graham asked at his dad's funeral not so very long ago. He said, if this was your funeral today, what is it you would want people to be saying about you? One friend answered, the first guy said, I would want people to say he was a great humanitarian and he really cared about his community and people all around him. It's kind of nice. And they kept the conversation going and kind of thinking of what they would want. And the second one said, well, I would want people to say he was a great husband and father and he was an example for many people to follow. And many people did follow his example. There was a long pause. And the third friend, I mean, really gave it some thought. And he answered, well, I would hope that someone would say, look, he's moving. <laughs> You've got till 12 o'clock to get that. <laughs> After that, I don't repeat them. Sorry, I didn't get it. Proverbs 17 and 22, a cheerful heart. <laughs> see, see, we could use a cheerful heart at times. Just turn to someone and say, a cheerful heart's good. And if the person that said that looks grumpy, you have my permission to punch them. Okay? There you go. Good. 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 The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 22, that a cheerful heart or a merry heart is good medicine. So I take that to believe that when there's a lot of laughter in a home or in a church or in a setting, someone is putting out some good medicine. And it also shows a respect and a lot of love. I heard a discussion last night in, in, a, in a program that I was watching, and the question was asked of a, of a comedian, why can't comedians today just be funny? No, they have to be salacious. They have to use language that you would not use in, in front of your mother. They use language and refer to the whole political system, whatever it has to be. And they call themselves comedians and nothing they say is funny at its core. But give me a comedian that understands humor and understands laughter and understands how to make people laugh and get people to forget this unfriendly world that we're in, and you have gotten yourself a real comedian. And I say it shows a respect for people. It shows a love for people. It shows that somebody really cares, and they want to put out some good medicine. Remember the story of the teacher at a school 
put a question to little Jimmy in math class, and she said, Jimmy, we're going to do a little math problem here. Suppose your mom had a made a cherry pie, and there were 10 of you at the table, your mom and dad and eight children. How much of the pie would you get? And Jimmy said, I'd get a ninth. No, no, Jimmy, you pay, now pay attention to the question. There are 10 of you in the home. You know that, don't you know fractions? Don't you understand how that works? Yes, ma'am, yes. I know my fractions, but I know my mom even better. And she say she doesn't want any pie. No. And I've seen that over and over and over. I've seen it in my own family many times. And I've seen it in other women, and I just adore that. I just... Uh, it's such an ad admirable trait, not to just not take pie, but I mean, that whole idea of... <laughs> you people laugh at the funniest times. <laughs> this is one strange crowd, I want to tell you. The unselfishness of a mother shows a heart of love for the family or for the individual. And all of us, or at least I hope so, can remember many unselfish acts of devotion that our mothers made in our homes. Boy, I could keep you here for a long time talking about my mother, and in particular, I'm going to say this, my mother-in-law. Wow, wow. And I've got to tell you something about that. Those kind of sacrifices, those, that kind of devotion stays with you through life. Matter of fact, I think it goes largely into molding you into that person that you are, that God wants you to be. Thomas Edison, ever heard of him? No, this is not a joke. Ever heard of Thomas Edison? Okay, some of you, I think, met him. Um, he once said, and I quote, I do not have my mother, I did not have my mother long. How, how many of you lost a parent, if it's not too hard to, to bear the thought of it right now, when, when you were pretty young? How many of you lost a parent when you were pretty young? Okay, yeah. My dad lost his mom when, when dad was eight years old. And that was in 1919. So that was a grandmother I never knew. That was a mother he never knew. But here's what Edison said. I did not have my mother long, but she cast over me an influence which has lasted, listen to this, all my life. The good effects of her early training I can never lose. If it had not been for her appreciation and her faith in me at a critical time in my experience, I should never likely have become an inventor. <laughs> Somebody believed in Thomas Edison. Guess who? I was always a careless boy. And with a mother of different mental caliber, I should have turned out badly. But her firmness, here, listen to this, listen to the mixture. Her firmness, her sweetness, you see, we're heavy on the firmness. <laughs> Some are just really heavy on the sweetness. But look at the mixture. But her firmness, her sweetness, her goodness, all of these were potent powers to keep me in the right path. My mother was the making of me, and the memory of her will always be a blessing to me. End of the Edison quote. What a loving tribute to a blessed mother. Why? Because here's what Proverbs 31 and verse 28 says. Her children will arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Hmm. Hmm. The unselfishness 
of the moms. Illustrated in another story where a young 15-year-old boy came bounding into the house. Thought it was awful quiet and he kind of tiptoed around and found his mom was in bed. And it was obvious she was barely moving and he asked if she was sick or, or something. Are you sick or something? <laughs> he was truly concerned though. He was. He was. And mom replied that as a matter of fact, son, I don't feel very well. I really don't. And the son was concerned. He was. And he said, well, Ma, don't you worry about dinner. I'll be happy to carry you down to the stove. <laughs> he didn't really, he was concerned, but he didn't really grasp what I call the concept of mother. Sometimes it's used in a more figurative way, especially in the Word of God. Nations, some of them, were sometimes thought of as mothers. The prophet Ezekiel used mother as a metaphor for Israel. A lot going on in Israel today. Even more tomorrow. Aren't you excited about tomorrow in Israel? Whew. Man, every American ought to be full of pride with that. After being nurtured and cared for by their mother, the princes of Israel brought shame upon her by their idolatrous practices. And you can read that throughout Ezekiel, but especially the 19th chapter. The, another prophet, Jeremiah, used the concept of Israel as mother to personify the sin of the nation. And he spoke very openly and very harshly and very honestly about the sin of the nation against the motherland, uh, the people against the motherland. Hosea, another prophet, made it a continuing theme throughout his prophecies. See, the word mother was also used to describe large and important cities. I could name a number of them. One comes to mind is Abel, A-B-E-L, of Beth Maka. That was called a mother of Israel. A city was called mother in terms of its influence over its people. So it was a figurative meaning of mother. And it also included ancestry. And the first one I want to think of was the, the mother of all living. Who was that? The mother of all living. Who was that? Eve. Eve. Okay, let's say this together. It's a little exercise. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. We're doing well here. We're doing well. God bless Sarah. She's known, Genesis 3, as the mother of all living. God blessed Sarah by declaring her what? The mother of all nations, Genesis 17. Rebecca was blessed to become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, Genesis chapter 24. See, the love and the nurturing of God is sometimes compared to the love <clears throat> and the caring and the concern that a mother gives to a newborn child. Look, you can go into the New Testament and find this in Paul's writings. Paul refers to new Christians. How, who remembers? What does he refer to new Christians as? Babes in Christ. Babes in Christ. Those of you that are new to the faith. Those of you that have recently accepted Christ as Savior. 
You're considered in the sight of God, and it's a wonderful thing. This is not a put-down thing. This is a wonderful thing. You're considered a babe in Christ. Those of you that have been a Christian for some time, but you haven't really grown in your faith, and you're not really in the Word, and you haven't really developed a lot of the Christian character that you want to develop, you're still a babe in Christ, but you have this ability to grow and to be nurtured and to come to full uh, fruition. It was Paul also who said, grow up in Christ. Become mature in Christ. So this whole idea of motherhood and this whole idea of nurturing and this whole idea of being kind and being compassionate and being loving to the newborn child is very important. Something hardly ever mentioned. From a pulpit or on a Mother's Day is the important part that mother-in-laws, actually mothers-in-law, play in our lives and in the Bible. You know, mother-in-law enjoys equal stature in the Bible. And the most classic example of a beloved mother-in-law is Naomi. Get in the book of Ruth, and I encourage you to read it today. It's only four chapters. Just read it through. What a story. Just read about Naomi, who was the mother-in-law of Ruth. And in that story, we see Naomi, the mother-in-law, a beautiful representation of love. Just unqualified love. Just compassion at its greatest and sincerity. So let's not forget the mother-in-law and let's not forget the mother-in-law place in our life and in the Word of God. And then, of course, I must speak to this. Mary, the dear mother of Jesus, is the epitome of of motherhood. Let me tell you why. She's not God. She's not to be worshipped above Jesus and God. But we see the greatest example of humility in all the Bible in the life of Mary. Nowhere in history is Mary's name ever mentioned outside of the scope of her son's presence. She herself was the recipient of one of God's greatest gifts, I think the greatest gift, don't you, to all of mankind. Yet she never sought glory and she never sought fame for herself. In Mary, we see an example of absolute purity. The Bible infers that she was a pious individual. If you go to Luke chapter 2, which we're going to be referencing here in just a few moments, you'll see that she and Joseph came, in verse 41, she and Joseph came to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. The Bible says, as was their custom every year. These were pious people. These were godly people. These were people who listened to the voice of God. Mary was most certainly put to the test. Can you imagine how they were trying to shame her when the word got out that she was with child? Her Jewish neighbors, her peers, her 
great friends or BFFs. Oh yeah, where's that? Where's that? Where are they now? In Mary, moms, this is a great example. You can look at a lot of wonderful examples in Scripture, but look, just in, just in this one, in Mary, you see an absolute dedication to her child. She and Joseph were terrified. In Luke chapter 248, when they were in the big city for the Passover, he walked off to the temple to, to, to debate with the elders, and Mary and Joseph didn't know where he was, didn't know where he had gone. They were terrified. And after Joseph's death, she traveled extensively with Jesus throughout his ministry. Most important and most interesting, I think, was where it started in John chapter 2, the relationship she had with Jesus, because we saw it at the wedding feast of Cana. <laughs> now there we saw her being firm and respectful at the same time. And she, he shows his respect for her wishes, despite his reluctance to get involved here. And of course, you know, they had a real problem at that wedding feast. And what was it? Yeah, they ran out of the good wine. And she said, well, you can do something about that. Just, just do, do, just, just do something about it. And he was reluctant. But he showed respect for his mother and her wishes. She knew what he could do. She knew his abilities. You know, it was an interesting story. If you really stop, read that, stop and think about it. She's kind of pushing him into higher service. She's not forcing him. She's not putting him into a mold. But she's kind of urging him into higher service. And Jesus... Almost, in Luke 2.48, it almost seems like he's rebelling against his parents, but he respectfully complies to them, and he tells them where, uh, tells them where he has been and what he's been doing. And in this story at Cana, the marriage at Cana, he complies to the wishes of his beloved mother. And you know, I don't think he ever regretted that, because in Mary we see that, he, uh, that uh, she was faithful till death, towards her family, she wouldn't leave him even in death. Talk about devotion. Talk about compassion. Think about this statement. Mary was with Jesus till the end, which was ultimately the beginning. See, we're caught up in our negativism so badly that we still see, many times, we see death as the end. For the believer, death is the beginning of something absolutely beyond description. And so she stayed with him till the end, which was ultimately the beginning. And I just have a feeling that she believed him when he said, you tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. I'll be back to see you. And Paul speaks a lot about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, let's take a, 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 a closer look at that scene at Calvary. And let, let's look at Jesus from that agonizing position, that torture of the cross. He's still showing concern for the welfare of his mother. Hmm? He turns to John and says, 
she's, she's your mom now. You take care of her. Watch out for her. You say, why did he do that? Because his love for her was a direct reflection of the love. Parents, you need to really get this through. His love for her was a direct reflection of the love she had shown him. You know, sometimes men and women who never stand in a pulpit preach the greatest sermons. How? Through living out the Word of God in their daily lives. Day after day, day after day, activity upon activity, year after year. So to sum it all up, we see that motherhood should be considered God's glorious, given duty to all who would be so revered as to be called mother. And pious, respected mothers and mothers-in-law. And ladies, listen, if I, haven't, if I haven't described you yet, because I've only mentioned mothers and mother-in-laws, I want to include you here because I'm going to say, and ladies who live for and serve God today in his church, in his body. You're as crucial as the lady sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, wherever. You're important. And realizing this and having that respect for that honor and that title, you can develop a sense of security, a sense of loyalty, a sense of love. And also develop a respect. And you should be held in the highest regard. Every lady in the room. Ladies, hear me. You will influence every generation to come. I don't know what you talk about at home. I don't, guess I don't need to. But I would fairly guess that 75% of our conversations, especially when there are just two of us there, revolve around our upbringing, our grandparents, our parents. Let me tell you something. Your influence, you say, well, it's not that important and my kids have gone, bye-bye. You will influence every generation to come because you don't know what's coming in the generation after the next generation. But someone's going to remember you and you're going to be known by your actions and by your attitudes and by your activities and by your very lives. God bless every one of you. Mothers will ultimately, my humble opinion is this, if you haven't read enough history yet to come to this opinion, that's fine. But if you read enough history, you will come to this conclusion. That mothers will dictate and have dictated the course of this great nation and the Western world and the world at large.
What was that old saying? The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And the mothers that are remembered best are the mothers that practice what the preachers preach. Those are the best sermons. And those are, and were this morning, some mom matters. Why? Because mom matters. I'm going to ask, if you can, if you're able, I'm going to ask for mothers to stand, if you're able, and just stand and be recognized for a moment. Certainly stand right to your feet. Don't be ashamed of that wonderful, honorable title. Mm -hmm. If you can, if you can't, that's fine. We... You are loved. We care for you. We haven't always said what we thought. And we don't want to wait until it's too late to say anything. We want to tell you today, en masse, we want to tell you that you are special in our lives. If you're here today and your mom isn't here or isn't alive, you can still, in her honor, thank God for your mother. Thank God for your mother-in-law. Thank God for your grandmothers, whomever it is that's been an influence in your life. And I look around and I see some of you that have had phenomenal influences in your life. And we thank God for every one of you. Now, while you stand, I'm going to ask all the other ladies in the place to stand with you. We're going to join forces here. All you other ladies stand because you in the body of Christ, in the family of God, here in the church, you have distinct ministry. You are important to this family and you play motherly roles in many, many, many cases. And in all cases, you exhibit and you give and you show forth influence and influence is the leadership that God loves. We want you to know how important you are and your testimony is and your ministry is at Faith Community Fellowship and indeed throughout the community. We want to make an impact on this community, but we want to do it with the right motives and we want to do it with the right heart. We know that you have hands that work. We know that you have a mouth that speaks goodness. And we know that you have a heart that's full of love. And we want to reflect all of that back to you this morning and say from our hearts, we love you and we thank you for your life and your testimony. Amen. Can I get an Amen. Let's show our love to all the ladies. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
Yeah.